Hi there, and welcome to the Regenerating Leadership Podcast. I'm thrilled to have you join us here as we shake off the old scarcity and separation-based notions of leadership and together reclaim and reimagine what it truly means to lead in a way that's rooted in wholeness and mutual thriving. Each episode features a remarkable individual who is breathing more life and vitality into our world by flipping the script on leadership. We're not just skimming the surface here. We're diving deep and exploring not only the unique what, why, and how of their work, but also the who they're being and becoming along the way. I'm your host, Holly McCann. I'm a former lawyer and corporate executive and a business owner and entrepreneur. I'm a practical visionary, a whole systems thinker, a lover of nature, including human nature, and a coach for entrepreneurs and executives who know they're here for something more. If you love what you're hearing and want to support me in my work, I invite you to become a paid subscriber to Regenerating Leadership on Substack. For only $6 a month, you'll receive a weekly newsletter, member-only content, and exclusive invitations. And you'll join a community of pioneering leaders who are on a journey of transforming themselves and their organizations as they shift from surviving into thriving. There's a link in the show notes to subscribe on Substack, or you can simply visit regeneratingleadership.substack.com. Well, I am so excited to be launching this very first episode of the Regenerating Leadership podcast with an amazing human who I'm honored to call my friend. David Rose is the founder of Just One Organics, a movement to improve soil health, expand organic farming, and provide delicious, nutritious food that contributes to people's health and vitality. He's also the designer and builder of Regenerative Community Ecosystems, and the founder and CEO of Unified Field Corporation. David, welcome and thank you for helping me to kick off this new adventure. Hi, Holly. Thank you. Thanks for having me and for providing this forum for us to just have a conversation and see if we can create some value in what we're sharing for people who are in your community. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. So do you want to start us off with just a a little overview about Just One Organics and what you're super focused on right now and passionate about? I would like to. Thank you. So we see things that need to be rebuilt um, and built differently. There are lots of systems in our civilization right now that are functioning with really good people, um, working with them, and the outcomes of those systems are not regenerative. They're not sustainable. They're not in harmony with many of the facets of life, I guess you could say, physical health, compassionate societies, peace, um, environmental harmony, and regeneration. So I looked years ago, I started looking at that and asking, how can we do this differently? Of course, like a lot of people are. And one of the things I came up with is that, yes, there are technical innovations. There are systematic or systemic innovations that need to happen. Um, One of the layers that I don't see too many people talking about that I feel is really important is the how. The how we do these things is just as important as the what that we're doing. 
and of course the why. Um, I feel like millions and millions of people around the world feel this why of let's bring our civilization into more harmony with nature and with what's best for all people and all life. I don't see as many people at least talking about that if we are building those systems from the same paradigm uh, or the same principles that have been active in creating the problems that we have now, our likelihood at succeeding in actually creating societal and technical and civilization systems that will create a much different world, a much different experience, are slim. So part of the work that we've done, of course, is a lot of technical innovation, um, economic modeling, uh, in how to implement those in a way that's very positively impactful, <clears throat> but also how, how do we interact? How do we relate to each other and ourselves while we're doing it? And how, how does that need to also be different and regenerative? So, so that's been a, a big passion for many years. Um, while we're looking at the economic modeling, in this case with Just One Organics, the economic modeling in food, and the products that we've uh, figured out how to create to drive that economic modeling. So I guess in a in a summary, you could say that our why, our how, and our what is super clear. Um, in this case, our why of our work being growing a new generation of regenerative farmers throughout the United States and the world that are growing millions and ideally, ultimately, over time, billions of acres of living soil and good food, super healthy food for people. Um, some people think sequestering carbon is a really good idea. Well, regenerative farming does that. So that's an automatic benefit of what we're doing. Um, but it's bringing our food production into balance with nature will help our ecosystems as well as our bodies and our communities. Um, and I guess the last part of our why that's super important also is not only localizing our food systems, making them more secure, making them more abundant, and all the job creation that comes with that, and the, the, the sense of well-being and uh, security that comes with that, but also we have to include feeding all people more than enough than they need to be healthy. And so eliminating hunger is also part of our why. Um, the how is, you know, okay, those are all great things. They sound good. Um, yeah, every, most people agree we should be doing those, but it's important to have a plan. How do you actually accomplish those very large things at scale around the world? How do you do that? So over many, many years, we've come up with an economic model which will drive those changes to actually happen. And that economic model, the, the center of that for our work are these gentle drying centers that will economically stimulate more regenerative and organic farming by simply offering to buy that food from farmers. So buying more food on a consistent basis at a good price with contracts before the farmers are planting or at the beginning of their orchard planting for the year and being able to buy their seconds or the imperfect food they're wasting. It's about a quarter of the food we grow is wasted that way. All those things are practical economic drivers 
that will encourage and incentivize farmers to grow more food, more living soil, and all the other outcomes we talked about. And then finally, the what is the fuel in the engine of the how. So if the, if the drying centers are the economic model that will actually make these outcomes in communities real, then our food is the fuel that drives the engine of those centers because the more people enjoy and eat our food, then the faster we can grow more centers and create more impact. So the quality of our food has to be unique. It has to be very strong. It has to be versatile and usable. And so we've, we feel we've accomplished that as well. So yeah, so that's the overview. Thank you so much, David. I've been smiling the entire time I've been listening to you because it just everything you're saying just oozes regenerative. In my book, that means holistic, whole systems. It's not leaving any part of the puzzle out. And I love that you started with why. That's my big mantra. Like, always start with why. That's the soil that you plant the seeds in, right? And then the how and the, and the, is, is, just as important. And then the what, and most people start with the what, and I'll just briefly throw in for people that are like, Ooh, what is the food you you're producing? And what just one organics is, is it takes um, a lot of seconds or just um, a lot of organic produce that they buy in these amazing, really fair agreements, win-win agreements with the farmers. And then they um, puree that gently dry it. And it turns into these incredibly delicious, nutritious, flakes um, that are sparkly. There's no additives. It's just nature that is shining. And you put these into smoothies and soups and you taste them and you feel like every cell in your body comes alive with not only the flavor, but the health profile that's so intact there. And they're virtually weightless. So this, one of the things that I saw early on in our relationship was that you could really make a dent in world hunger because you're able to ship to these remote countries at a very low cost because the weight of the water has been gently extracted from this food and it just gets reconstituted into highly nutritious, nutrient-dense food. So I absolutely love everything that you were saying. And you're right. There's amazing things. The what's that are out there are proliferating, which is fantastic to see people focused on organic products, fair trade, things like that. But so many times we may know what things we should be doing um, to get to the how, uh, we may even have a sense of the why, but there's things that come up that are in the way. And so often I find there's some kind of shift or transformation that happens in these leaders that are doing work in these entirely different yet anciently um, appropriate ways. So I'm curious, ever since I've known you, which is what, seven years, we met through a crazy series of synchronicities. Um, you have been in this space. You've been oozing holistic, regenerative, in connection with nature, you just live it, breathe it, are it. I'm curious if there was a David before, if there was some sort of breakdown to breakthrough experience you had that really informed this shift into like, wow, we've got to do things differently. <laughs> well, of course, there's always, there's always, for all of us, right? There's always a time before we got, I guess, um, inducted <laughs> or committed it's funny how the word committed can mean so many things, right? Um, in different ways, but yeah, of course. And I think that 
the earliest thing that I remember happening is um, when I, a long time ago, having the sense that, that I became aware of the, the enormity of the problem. Um, when I say that, I mean, um, this is kind of a description of how big I realized the problem was. And for most of us, we live in places around other humans and towns and cities. And I realized that if, if we stand wherever we are in a city or a town or even in our homes, and we just do a slow 360 and observe everything that we see, um, what I've come to realize is that everything that's made by humans, everything, except maybe art, um, but even that, there's an aspect of the material and how the material's produced. And if you dig deep and you really take all the covers off and look at everything that we're doing, it basically all needs to be redone. All our systems, all our economic systems, all of our physical and technical systems, even the computers that we're talking on right now, how they're made and how they function, there are aspects to all of that that are illing. They're not healing. And it's really not possible to be none of those. Everything that happens is either going to be helping us become more vital, stronger, more balanced, more connected, um, more whole and happy either personally or in our families or in our society, or it's doing the opposite. And pretty much everything humans have created on a deep level needs to be done differently. Um, even things, I mean, of course, we do a lot of things that help each other. That's ridiculous. A lot of our society is about helping make life better. So on that level, of course. But there are deeper levels that call to or speak to how we relate with nature, how we relate with the very foundations of nature, how we relate to connectivity and relationship itself, how we relate to our own nature inside. There's so many things about that that on a societal level really need to change. And that was overwhelming in some ways, uh, very exciting in other ways, but mostly it's been like, okay, great. How do we accomplish this? And, you know, the, the parts of the entire civilization or the sector or the area that I felt inspired to work with, you know, there have been a few of them, but the one I've been spending the last 10 years on in a very focused way is food. And that seems to be a, a, a universal area that as we improve how we work with food, then we improve a lot of other things at the same time. So, you know, part of the, the quest or the questions have been, you know, how can I make a difference in this? This is, this does seem overwhelming. Millions and millions of people are doing great work on this bigger subject. You know, what's my part? And so, again, I came up over time with, yeah, these, I, there are some innovations that we can bring to the party and add to the mix that everybody else is working on that will be helpful. Um, aspects of our work are very unique. Um, our product is unique. Our business model and our economic incentive model that we're bringing out is very unique and it's important. But again, the most important thing is how we do it, um, how we treat ourselves and each other while we're doing it. Um, if our you know, everything's transitional, right? Like we would like to transition to 
truly clean energy, which doesn't just mean solar panels, because how the solar panels are built creates other problems that we have to make up for somehow. But, you know, it's not just the technology itself, it's the deeper aspects of it. What's the long term? What's the thousand year impacts of what we're doing? Are they, you know, sustainable is a good word. It's a good start because we want to be able to sustain ourselves. But, you know, nature is not sustainable. Nature is regenerative. It goes beyond sustainable. That means, you know, what's the difference? It's like sustainable is is kind of in the middle between regenerating and degenerating. It's like not having the status quo get worse. And for, you know, a couple decades ago, that was a really cool word. It was in fashion. And those of us who want to change things, yeah, we got to be sustainable. And then slowly we all started figuring out, well, yeah. And we probably need to regenerate because a lot of things need to heal. And one of the things when you look at systems, regenerative systems don't just maintain the, a positive status quo, they improve it. So the more they operate, the better things get. So like when you're farming and growing living soil as a practice, the more you farm, the more fertile your soil gets. What a concept, right? Instead of trying to just maintain the nutrient base of your soil by all these additives and hoping that it doesn't get worse, your soil gets more fertile, more resilient, the plants growing in it gets stronger, more able to resist droughts and floods and winds and all kinds of things because they're stronger. And that's how nature works. So everything that we're doing and how we're doing it, how is it building strength the more we do it versus the other? So, so yeah, that, those realizations have come over time. You know, I've, I've been blessed to interact with so many great people who are so much smarter than I am and so much clearer about all this than I am. And so I'm, I'm really just a passionate student of all this stuff and these things and, and really committed to bring them into our work. So like when we're figuring out how to produce um, a higher quality dried food, dehydrated food, because that will drive the economic engine, allow us to buy more food because we don't have to sell it within three days. You know, we can take time to get it where it needs to go. Like you said, it's light and less expensive to move it around. All these things, it's important how we treat each other, how we treat our associates that work with us, how we communicate, how we treat farmers, how we work with our customers. It's, it's all important and we're all doing our best to lift all that up, of course. And again, the quality of that is is probably the most important change that we need to make. I so love the way you illuminated that difference between sustainable and regenerative, because you're absolutely right. I even think about that in the word balance. Like for me, balance connotes the sort of balance beam that we played with as a kid in the playground where like, don't anybody move. We've just hit balance. Again, that is that is not how nature works. Nature is in a constant rhythm and cycle and an ebb and a flow and all of that. So regenerative is like recognizing there will be times that it goes out of balance, but that's only to make way for even more amazing expansion, you know, and that sort of thing. So it's a whole different way of looking. And like you said, you just nailed it where um, it's something that you're doing that the more you do it, the more it provides, the more it makes things better. And I equate that with um, like love. I have two kids, right? And I had my first child. You have so much love for this child. 
And there's a tiny part of you that uh, when you're expecting your second child, you're like, can I possibly love this child the same? And of course, from like the moment that you start to feel the kick inside you and whatever, that love is just overflowing. There is plenty there. There is more than enough. And the fact that I love both of these humans makes myself have more love in my world, all that sort of thing. So when you take it out of an extractive, lack-based, scarcity-based perspective, and you see that nature thrives in abundance, and abundance is in this sort of frequency bandwidth that's up there with love and all the regenerative things that the more you do them, the more it makes things better. The more the more love you bring to something, the more love there is available. The more life you bring to something, the more life becomes available. And that is the exact opposite of extractive, right? So we're like, what is what are we doing that's at the cost of something else? And so much of our world has gone to that extreme that we're seeing now and why it's breaking down because it's become so extractive and not sustainable at all. But we're not just need to get to sustainable. We need to get back to regenerative. So, or align with regenerative. Um, and so I'm curious, you, you came to this sobering realization at this point of like, oh shit, like we've really got work to do here. <laughs> and you jumped in with both feet. Uh, I'm curious in that how that you, you stress is so important. That also requires a lot of inner transformation, not just the awareness of like what the external world looks like, but what my inner landscape looks like. And so Maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the significant beliefs or behaviors that you had to sort of compost um, to sort of get into this way of being that allows you to operate in this different way. Well, thanks. And thanks for bringing up the, the qualities and what hopefully we can do right now on this in this conversation is chunk it down to um, tools that help that we find helpful and maybe other people will find helpful in practicing the shift that we're talking about, right. To these principles. So that, that will help, I think, cause it's helped, it's helped me. And I know, you know, in our knowing each other for years, I'm watching how you work in the world. I'm sure it's helped you as well. Um, so it's important. There are frequencies or qualities or energies that we all operate with. And what that means is we entertain thoughts, we entertain feelings um, all the time. We're always thinking and we're always feeling something. And most people in our society are trained to focus on our actions, our conversations. Um, and we feel things sometimes without paying attention. So, and we often think things, we're thinking so many thoughts every every minute, right? And we often think things without paying attention to what we're thinking. And we just think about the results, the outcomes, what people are doing around us, what our outcomes are. So it's super important if we want to redirect the course of our lives and the impact of our lives, we, it's helpful to become more aware of our thoughts and feelings all the time and how, whether they're serving us or not. Um, most people today, I mean, a century ago, we might not have found as many people that are aware of this um, way of looking at things, but a lot more people now realize that our thoughts create our life, our feelings help to create our thoughts. So those are the engines that we have inside us to work with. So becoming more aware of that's super helpful. And, you know, I'm, I've been aware of these things and the importance of them for a long time. 
but it's a lifetime of practice. I mean, nobody's going to be perfect at this. We just keep practicing. And what I find for myself and what I, you know, people that like to hang out with me and work with me and uh, interact with me, you know, a lot of us feel the same, that the more we practice, the more we start to see incremental changes, um, the more fulfilling life is and the more impactful we see our life can be on things that we care about in the world, not just our families and our own bodies maybe, but also our society and our ecosystems. So impact, our, our ability to have larger impact, I believe comes from as a natural outcome of our passionate practice with, um, with some of these principles. And, and the other piece I wanna add at the beginning like this is that self-compassion is also really important. Um, you know, if we were on video, I would, um, you'd see me hold out my arm, turn my palm up, and then bend at the elbows so that I was like patting myself on the shoulder, right? And it's a fun gesture, a symbol that we can, most of us can relate to of, yeah, we're not judging ourselves. We're, we're being compassionate with ourselves as well as others that we're practicing. And part of practicing is we make mistakes, you know? Someone said one time, if you see a child that's learning how to walk and they, they're toddling and they're walking and then they fall over, you don't walk up to them and say, get up, you little dummy. <laughs> we just don't do that. We don't even feel that. We just like, oh, and then we were inspired as they get up and they keep walking and then they fall down and they keep walking. And it's like, we're all doing that. We're all doing that with all these things. So, so it's important to be compassionate with ourselves. The more we care and desire to become aware of our thoughts and feelings and what how we're running our our self-conversation which also has to do with how we interact with others um the happier we'll be and the freer we'll be because we'll be free because we're a choice right people say they a lot of people are talking about freedom right now and we generally talk about freedom as being able to be a choice and so the question that we have when we're uh, when we care about this practice is what thoughts and feelings am I choosing now and now again, right? And some people feel that, well, you know, of course I feel bad about this or I'm angry or sad or depressed or whatever. And of course, you know, I, I have these dark thoughts because all these crummy things are happening around us. Well, okay, that's understandable because those outer things we don't like them. They don't feel good. We're afraid of them. We're angry about them. We worry about them. Maybe we're discouraged or depressed if there's enough of it. But all those things are temporary. They are not permanent and they always change. So we can be a choice about how we want to relate to those things. We can, we can find a way to be positive, self-empowered, responsible, uh, hopeful, committed, and caring. Um, no matter what's happening, we are a choice. And so the more we become aware of that and we are wanting to practice choosing those things, no matter what's happening around us, we start to find that it's very helpful. So real quick, before, before I finish this little piece, I want to bring out the principles that have helped me as markers or like a signpost. And those principles are operating principles that we use to run our thoughts and feelings, our interactions with others, 
and also they translate into all the work that we do and the products that we make and the businesses that we start and our impacts and work in the world. And so I've identified three ways to describe these things and they both have a, a, a two sides to them, right? So one way is when we're feeling and thinking thoughts and feelings that are based in fear, they're based in a sense of being separate from others and from life. And they're based on a sense that the world is scarce, that scarcity is how the world works. So fear and separation and scarcity, those give rise to certain feelings and thoughts and, of course, actions and ways of doing things and systems that run our civilization, you know, because we just keep building more momentum in everything that we do. And a lot of it has an outer form, like our banking system or our financial system, our money, even a lot of cryptocurrencies. There's, you know, just choosing that as one example, right? But it's everywhere. What we're doing in a systematic way, a global way, a personal way in our families, in our businesses, in our interactions with everybody, are those moments and those actions and all those expressions, are they based in fear and separation and scarcity or their opposites? Which it's important to really think about the opposite or we're not going to create them, right? You know, the opposite of fear is love. The opposite of separation is oneness. You could use connection also or but even below connection, there's oneness. And the opposite of scarcity is abundance. So, you know, starting to become more aware of what we're building. You know, we want to make the world better. We want to improve things. We're inventing things. We're creating new systems. We're, there's such a creative time right now. So many people are doing fantastic work, creating so many things that they want to see improve all of our lives on all levels. Are those systems, are those products, are those businesses, are our interactions, are our thoughts and feelings, are we doing that based in this moment on fear, separation, and scarcity, or love, oneness, and abundance? Because you can't do both at the same time. It's like, can it be, you know, if we turn on the light switch in the room, they don't wrestle. You know, you turn on the switch, it's light. You turn off the switch, it's dark. There's, it's either or. That's The world is like that. And it's that way in our interactions with ourselves and our businesses and our projects and our initiatives. We're always going to be doing it based on one set of qualities, one paradigm or the other. And so that's what I meant at the beginning of our conversation, that if we're going to build a world that is truly regenerative, in other words, teeming with life and strength and vitality and more than enough for all in a way that functions better the more we operate it, we actually need to create that system and any part of it that each of us is passionate about working on to the best of our ability, becoming more aware over time, the more we practice, because we're all practicing making each step, each interaction, each thought, and baking into the how those systems function, the principles that can create a better world, which is love, oneness, and abundance. 
And the more you've, the more, well, anyway, the more I've thought about this over many years, because I'm always asking, okay, how can we do it faster, better, stronger? How can these changes endure and not just be, well, that we thought that was going to be great, but then it got co-opted and wrecked again. You know, it's like, you know, Tim Berners-Lee created the internet so that people could have access to information and he could level the playing field and empower all of us to be more creative and more connected and more, more able to do the brilliant, wonderful things that we feel we can contribute to the world. And he helped to create the internet, the World Wide Web. And now look at it. You know, it's basically run mostly by three or four companies that have co-opted the whole thing. And they constantly are trying to pull it into them having more control, them making more money and them telling us what to do or, you know, trying to manipulate us in some way. And okay, you know, that happens. So how do we do it differently? And you have all these great people working to build new systems of communication and data storage and social interaction online. And that's just one example, right? So if those people working together are building new systems that are truly to the best of their ability, reflecting that paradigm of a system that can be regenerative, they'll succeed. And to the degree that they want to build something better, but usually out of a lack of awareness, they're continuing to use the old paradigm to do it. It doesn't work. <laughs> and if it works for a short time, it's it's able to be co-opted again. And we're right back where we started. So anyway, that thanks for letting me share that because I believe it's really foundational. Those three principles in one paradigm or the other make a huge difference in the long-term ultimate power of the work that we're doing to actually change things for the better. Thank you for sharing all of that, David. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, this is something that I'm super passionate about because I've observed it in all of my travels around the world in the last seven years, working closely with and even living with some of those founding teams and startup organizations that are out there doing amazing things that have the potential to like dramatically shift health and vitality of the planet and people would continue to hit speed bumps and in some cases just fall apart because of these old paradigm behaviors and ways that are so ingrained in us. And so I loved what you spoke to about self-compassion. I mean, that was one of the biggest shifts that I remember several years ago. Well, I don't know, 15 years ago, just really starting to tune into my own inner thoughts and watch them. And at some point, something sort of clicked where it's like, oh my gosh, would I talk to my daughter Carly this way? There's no way I would talk to her like that. So why am I talking to myself like that? I'm doing the best I can, you know, and continuing to practice. Like you said, it's an ongoing practice. I still need to do it often, especially when things get a little scary or the, the ground becomes unsettled beneath my feet and I'll have to pause and be like, okay, you have a choice. Like you said, that's why I love to talk about these different you know, paradigms as different frequency bandwidths, because when you're inhabiting any part of one bandwidth, it, it bleeds out into everything else. So like mm -hmm. I said, if you're feeling all this love, that's also very connected to abundance and thriving and, you know, all of that sort of thing that the more you do any one of those, it informs and expands your capacity for all the other things that are in that same frequency bandwidth. Totally. Yeah. I am really seeing though that we have these workplaces that even if they're sort of a 
quote, regenerative product or service that's being done, there's still a lot of old paradigm operational, you know, and foundational ways that they're being run or that these behaviors are coming up in meetings and dynamics and things like that. So how do you cultivate in your workplace a culture where it's safe to practice this self-compassion. Um, <laughs> like, can you give specific examples? Like what I love about you, David, is that you're so intertwined with sort of the masculine and feminine. Like you're like, we've got to get shit done. Like, you know, we aren't just going to like all sit around singing Kumbaya and it's all going to make everything better. Um, and you have a whole lot of space for compassion. And I've heard some of the stories that you've shared about some of the things that have happened in your organization and the way you've handled them. So maybe you can share for everyone here, what are some specific examples of ways that you make it a little bit safer to, to come back to compassion? <laughs> well, thanks. It's fun. And it's really fun to, to work with you, Holly, because you, you get this and you've been practicing it also. And it's just, you know, it's like when, when we meet other people that resonate with these frequencies, we all get stronger right? So there's two things that you asked about just now. One was, how do you make it safe to, how do you create an environment where it's possible to practice these things? And what I would say is there's two parts and they're, they're so easy to connect. The first part, the most important part is make it safe for you to practice it inside yourself, inside ourselves, right? Because we, the same thing we see out there in the world, it's going on inside. It's a mirror always. So our corporate, our general dysfunctional corporate culture is really just a reflection of how we've all been mistrained in our youth by other people who meant well, called our parents and our teachers who all meant well, hopefully, mostly, that just didn't have the tools either. And they were operating with the old paradigm and saying, yeah, but you've got to be realistic and you've got to be this and you've got to be that. And we're like, okay. And so we think that way and we feel that way habitually. And so making it safe for us to practice inside. Really, if we're a founder or a leader of an organization, we have to be working on that. Otherwise, it's not gonna happen in our organization, right? So that's the first part is, what will it take for each of us to gradually over time, respond to those old voices that are trying to pull us back into the old fearful paradigm in ourselves and just gently you know, educate them, make them aware, give them a timeout, you know, whatever we have to do to make it okay for us to be who we really want to be and be that and, and just do our best every day to do that and do it. And again, in relation to others also. So if we're doing that work on the inside to, to make ourselves more whole and more in alignment with those principles that we feel better about, and if we're doing our best to become aware of how we're expressing that in our interactions with other people, in our organizations and outside of them, we are creating a safe space because we're creating two things. We're creating an example that's authentic, never perfect, but always you know sincere. And we're creating momentum. And that momentum will start to bring in other people who also are passionate about this practice in the context of the work that we're doing together. And we start to build that momentum and it, it grows. And the question of, it's like, how do you make a garden safe for a tomato plant to grow? Well, you create good soil and you take care of it. And it's never perfect, but if you, if you focus on it and it's important to you and you plant those seeds, some of those seeds will grow. 
and then you start having momentum. So it's very similar to that. So I want to share also one other set of principles because at the level of the paradigm itself, are we operating in this moment in our organization, in our next conversation with ourselves and others from a paradigm that contains the energies of fear, separation, and scarcity, or love, oneness, and abundance? That's foundational. Um, and it's helpful, at least for me and for others that I get to work with, it's been helpful to pull that up into a little more uh, practical application. So I've come up with these a way to describe that that we find helpful that I'll share here, which is I call them nature-based principles. And there are six of them. And they're actually, they operate in a circle. So they continually feed each other, right? So those six principles are abundance, mutuality, collaboration, creativity, efficiency, and generosity. And that's that's a lot, but it's more it's more practical, it's more specific. And the more you work, we work with those principles, we find anyway that they nourish each other. So finding creative ways to bake those principles into our business, into our culture, also into how we relate, how we make decisions. Um, it, it's super helpful. And then I guess the the other tool that we can we can share with people here, and if they want to learn more about it, maybe they can contact you and you can share more with them too, is the idea of always working from the inside out. Um, inside out marketing, inside out business development, inside out cultural development, inside out innovations in products and, and services. What does that mean? It means that you take those principles that we feel are important. You ask, how does that apply to this task or this project or this part of my business? And then you implement from the inside out, meaning from the principles, the mission, the passion, the caring, the commitment outward into that expression. So what does that look like? Well, marketing, everybody has to meet new people that want what they're offering and that can pay for it, right? That's business. <laughs> you find people that are looking for what you have and you share it with them and they go, oh yeah, I want that. And then they buy it and then you can keep doing more of it and sharing it with more people. So that's, that's basic commerce, right? So in doing that, in saying, okay, I'm passionate like with us, with our food. We're so passionate about the quality of these organic, very gently dried, fruit and vegetable puree crystals. They're just gorgeous and we love it. And we know that they can fuel a gigantic movement to regenerate our soil, our people, our communities, our ecosystems. And we know that. And so we're we're excited about sharing those crystals because they're the fuel for that work, right? So how do we do that? And it's like, well, everybody, there's like endless people doing internet marketing. And so far in my journey, which has been a real journey of trying to find good people to work with, most people, even so many people are so sincere about that mission, but their operating system keeps pulling them back into doing things the old way, which is through trying to manipulate people, even, even with a good intention. It's why, what is manipulation? Manipulation assumes that life is scarce, that we're separate, and that we should be afraid that if we don't manipulate, we won't succeed. You know, there you go. There's the paradigm. Fear, separation, scarcity. 
So when I started encountering wonderful people who have helped us and who have done great work in so many ways, it didn't feel like it was actually working to jumpstart our marketing. So I've been looking for people who want to help us market from the inside out, truly. And what that, that's not just leading with the mission instead of like, hi, we have a new shiny product. You want to buy some, you know, that's not how we do things. And it's not just, this is our mission. Here's the connection between our why, our how, and our what. Do you like this what? If you do, you're going to activate more of the how and we're together, we're going to accomplish the why. Okay, so that's clear. But to do it in a way that understands and, and appreciates that we're already connected, we're already one. We're not going to act from fear of loss. We're going to act from the love of other people and the love of this world and really wanting to make it whole. And that's it. We don't need to qualify and going, yeah, but, <laughs> you know, we have to do it this way or it won't work. You know, that's fear. And no, we're staying away from that fear. We're staying in the love and the caring and the knowing that the world is abundant and that we are connected and one. So if we honestly share what we have and why we have it, and we put it in front of people who we think may be looking for that, then it's easy. Then those people will recognize that too. And they'll say, oh yeah, awesome. How much can I buy? How much can I afford to put in my basement and have food storage? Or how much can I buy so my kids can eat really, really healthy food that looks and tastes amazing? Um, you know, we'll, we'll connect based on the foundation of caring and a sense of abundance, which eliminates the need to manipulate on any level. So that's just one simple example. If we're baking those principles in abundance, creative abundance, mutuality, collaboration, creativity, efficiency, and generosity. There's no room in that for thinking, well, I have to try to manipulate this algorithm or nobody's going to buy our stuff. You know, that's a scarce, fearful, separationist kind of an answer, and it's not true. So implementing this in our business, again, is a practice. Awareness first, then we see that we have choices. You know, probably most of the marketing people I talk to, and I talk to a lot of them because I'm looking to build a good marketing team for our food right now. Most of the people I talk with, they love what we're doing and they love our food and they want to help and they just don't understand the difference. They just, they're not aware of it. It's okay. You know, great people, they just don't get it. And so I look at that and I go, well, I can't work with that person because I don't have time now. It's taken so long to get here because we've been really committed to do it right. And that's just been our learning curve. But now we need people who really get the difference. What is the difference in every aspect of our work between fear and love expressed through our work? What is the difference in our work between knowing that we're connected in one and imagining that we're separate? in how we're doing that piece of the work and how abundant are we in our sense. You can't be generous if you're not abundant. It's not sincere, you know, or are we trapped in, a, in the illusion of scarcity, right? I mean, what's cool about uh, mimicking nature in our business is that nature is those things. Nature is radically abundant. It stretches our imagination how abundant it is, right? You, you take a a kernel of corn, one little tiny kernel, you put it in living soil, and a little while later you get a, a stalk of corn with six ears, and each ear's got 200 kernels on it. Oh my God, you know, it's like, 
<laughs> you know, that's just one. There's like a billion examples of abundance all around us. The microbiome, you know, we have we have 10 times the number of microbes on in our bodies than we have cells. Are you kidding me? It's like, what is that? It's like, we should learn that when we're in kindergarten, you know, because it gives us a sense of radical abundance, not just of the numbers of little microbes that are, you know, outnumbering our cells 10 to one, you know, as one great writer said, who's hosting whom, but it's also about the intelligence that guides that. There's a vast intelligence in the soil, in our guts, in our bodies, in all of nature that is guiding this thing for billions of years, billions. You know, humans have been taking over the planet and technologically for a couple hundred years, and we're wrecking the place in many ways. So, you know, we're, we've got a pretty bad score, 200 years, eh, you know, it's like not, you know, lots of degeneration, lots of, you know, beauty, you know, art, music, and you know, other things that we create that are beautiful because we're a mixed bag. You know, humans are both. We're trying to become more of this creative, natural, abundant paradigm. And we'll get there. But it's a practice. It is indeed a practice of radical abundance, coming back and reminding ourselves of that. And I just you just shared so many rich nuggets in there. I just want to touch on a few that really zinged for me, especially in my own journey, um, that's that, you know, how do we start? You're exactly right. We have to start. The leaders have to start from the inside out, right? Who is the one that's modeling this behavior? Like we need somebody around us to model that because, you know, for years I was, you know, reading every self-help, self-improvement book around my type A perfectionist was like, I can make myself better, right? But it's such a mental game. When everything really started to shift and click into place for me was when I had an actual lived experience in the field that someone was modeling this compassion and this self-compassion. My friend Dawn Nocera, who's one of my best friends, she was my first ever coach. Um, and she had something several years ago called um, the Sacred Art of Self-Appreciation. And she created this small intimate Facebook group where every day for six months, we had to show up and state three things that we appreciated about ourselves. So it wasn't only doing it in the privacy of our like home journal session, like, oh, I can come up with three things about myself that I can appreciate. We had to do it in front of others, which at first it was excruciating. Like, I can't say that I appreciate that about myself. And sometimes it was really hard to feel those things. You know, we might be like, okay, I appreciate that I got out of bed today because it was really hard. You know, it could be as simple as that. But after six months of a daily practice in a group that felt like this really amazing safe container, I could be out in the world and I was modeling that because it was in me. I was practicing it. It was, it was uh, something that was now second nature to me that I could go out and be like, I really appreciate myself. I could receive compliments you know, without deflecting them, all that sort of thing. And it's so important to have that lived experience. And I believe that that's the kind of culture that you create there, David in your work is that everyone that comes into contact with you sees you modeling this sort of self-compassion that you then have space and compassion for others 
not only in your teammates and your workplace, but your trading partners, your marketing partners, your soil scientists, the farmers, like you really embody that to where it ripples out in this like radiant way of radical abundance. And I loved how you said like, start from wholeness. That's, or you, I think you said, start from oneness. I say wholeness, same exact thing yeah. of reminding ourselves because we do have a choice that nature and our reality is actually one of abundance. And it is an illusion that has been conditioned into our brains that it's not that. And so we have to just be able to com- continue to remind ourselves, but not just in our own little isolated silo, in a field with others that are are like somewhere along that journey with us that we can then be like, oh, she's got something different going on there. What if I start practicing that myself? And you create a space like Dawn created for me where I could feel the difference of compassion. I couldn't just read about it and try to like do three exercises or say some affirmations or something. I actually felt her compassion and unconditional acceptance for me. And I Mm -hmm. believe that that's what you're doing. And that is a key way that you are fostering this culture of mutual thriving and support within your organization. Well, thanks. Um, Well, I I definitely agree that we're passionate and sincere practitioners, all of us in our work. And so that's true. And also, thankfully, that self-compassion is a part of the practice because none of us are perfect at it. We're all learning. We all have good days and bad days. And it's okay, too, right? It's, it's, It's helpful, actually, you know. Steve Case says mistakes are mandatory on the path to success. So um, we must be uh, headed towards success because we make mistakes all the time, too. And, you know, you want to milk them. You want to learn from them. Hopefully you don't want to make the same mistake twice if you can help it. Definitely not more than that, but really get the lesson so you can go on to the next one. So, yeah, we're we are sincere about this stuff and we're totally imperfect in our practice. But that's okay because that's how we get there. You know, nature is messy. And, uh, and it, but it's always heading toward, you know, these principles operate in nature and it's so cool because nature is just the messiest thing ever. And it works because the underlying operating principles are still active and driving that messy imperfection toward improvement, toward regeneration and, you know, evolution and, you know, mutations that create improvements in species and ecosystems and balance, you know, everything is always trying to balance itself out in nature. So it's like that works. And so we can practice that and we don't have to be perfect and we don't even have to do it every day or all the time. We just do it because it feels better and it works better. And so, of course, we're going to want to do it as much as we can be aware of. Um, So that's really, really exciting. And um, thank you for for the encouragements and the acknowledgements. And, you know, we're going to keep practicing this stuff because we know it works. We know it feels better. We know it, it addresses to the degree that, you know, our, our ever imperfect and needing to get better degree of ability to practice this stuff and, and, and implement it sincerely. I mean, you know, somebody said, you're not going to ever get it done and it's never going to be perfect. And that's okay. You know? So, phew. <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> you know, I used to absolutely. I used to not like to sit on, on the window seat. I, I, at different points in the work, I've had to travel a lot for the work, and a lot of times over years, I wouldn't want to sit by the window in the airplane because 
you know, taking off and landing, usually there's a city around you. And I would look at the whole spread out beneath the plane and just go, I was so aware of the enormity of the task, right? It's enormous. I mean, you know, we talked about how if you do a slow 360 in any city or town in America or the world, really, most of the systems have to be redone. Our communications, our electronics, our building materials, our transportation, our food, our energy, how we deal with water, which is an amazing part of nature and creation in our bodies. I mean, there's so much of that that we have to do differently and better to make a regenerative world, right? Where somebody, I mean, now people are going, oh, yeah, UFOs are real. Okay, cool. We're not the only ones. So imagine that some other species group crew is flying by our planet at some point in the future and their sensors pick up like all these things and they look at each other and go, dang, they actually did it. <laughs> they actually made the world regenerative. We weren't sure if they're going to be able to pull it off, but they did it. That's very cool. So, you know, to get there where the world is a fully regenerative experience for all life forms. Oh, I mean, that's the vision, right? <laughs> that's, that's the thing we all go, yeah, we want that. And to be able to hold that, I mean, we're going to have, so I would see how much work there was to do that. And I would go, oh man, this is too much work. And I would get discouraged and, you know, momentarily depressed. And so like, I don't want to sit by the window. I just want to get where I'm going and do my part. Right. And so I remember one time, um, for whatever reason, um, I had, I was given a window seat for some reason on this one flight and I, I couldn't, they wouldn't change it at the gate. I couldn't change it online. So I asked the, the flight attendant, I said, would it be okay if somebody has an aisle seat that I switch with them? And she just said, maybe, but not until after takeoff. And she was pretty firm about that. I went, oh, okay, there's no room here. So I sat down, I thought, and I'm looking out the window and we're taking off and I'm looking out at some city and thinking, oh, is there another way I can relate to this experience? Because I don't want to be depressed or discouraged again, seeing the enormity of this work we have to do. And so I just, I was open. And of course, when we're open, the solution drops in, right? So at that moment, I saw a vision from just some movie I'd seen. I like movies. And it was a movie where in that is a science fiction movie where aliens had come to destroy the earth and they had this death ray that would come out of their ship onto some point and would radiate out in this expanding circle of infinite destruction. <laughs> that was their weapon. And I saw that. I saw it in my mind anyway, right? I saw this, this beam of light coming down and expanding out in all directions. The difference was it wasn't a ray of destruction. It was, a, it was the process of regenerating all our systems, everything, everything about humanity, everything about how we are in the world, everything we build, everything we do, everything that we have impact on in our lives and the world, all of it had flipped from degenerative, a mixed bag, to completely regenerative. And it was radiating out really fast. And I was watching this, this thought. I was having this, this vision inside. I was looking at this going, how do we do that? That's amazing. This is a lot more fun looking at that than thinking about how much work there is to do to get there. And it just was happening so much faster than we logically can ever imagine it happening, right? Because our logic goes, oh, it's going to take centuries to do this, right? We better get busy. And, and I just felt this uplifting sense of, wow, 
in my mind is way in the back going, that's impossible. It can never happen that fast. And so I'm putting the two together. I'm asking how. And what I realized is the truth that I believe is true anyway, that when enough of us fully understand and appreciate and commit to the practice of leading, whether we're leading ourselves, leading in our work, whatever, our, our little part of our work or a whole company or a movement, whatever it is, but we commit to lead within ourselves and in the world in whatever role we have that we choose in the world, consistently enough from these positive paradigms, these regenerative paradigms, when enough of us are having a consistent enough practice of that, we will trigger a momentum that we is hard to comprehend right now, the way we look at the world, but it will regenerate everything really fast because there will be no resistance. There'll be full cooperation on all levels. We will have tapped into the abundant resources that are actually there. And we will do it. And it will be so much faster than we think. And I don't know when we're going to hit that, that threshold. It doesn't matter to think or worry about it because we're just all doing our best, right? Um, the last thing I want to say about this part is humans function on an unconscious level in society often based on agreement fields. And there's been a lot, there've been a lot of people way smarter than me that have written books about that. The continuum concept wrote about that in relation to child rearing, where they, they work with um, tribes in South America, where they have within the tribe, they would have an agreement field that a child was going to be safe. And I remember the author was watching this infant sitting on the ground, on the edge, like right on the edge of a deep pit, that if it fell into the pit, it would, it might die, it would at least hurt itself a lot. And it was just sitting there, just kind of playing in the dirt and wobbling around right on the edge of this pit. And all the adults were walking by back and forth, back and forth. And nobody was like, get away from that pit, you know, and picking it up and putting it somewhere else or getting worried. Nobody did that. And and the, the baby was fine. She sat there mesmerized because it was such a different reality than she would experience back in Western culture, right? We can relate to that. And later she asked one of the elders, she goes, how do you do that? <laughs> you know, it just seemed like it was normal. And it also seemed certain that that baby was going to be okay, certain. And the, the elder just said, we just know that everybody's going to take care of themselves and nobody's going to do something like that. That it doesn't matter if they're an infant, that they're born with that. And we just know that. And that's what was happening. So humans function in their interactions with each other, a lot of the time based on agreement fields. So I'll just, I'll just end with, you know, at this part anyway, of with money, right? Money is an expression of an agreement field that we have in our society that directs the course of our engagements. And we can choose what kind of money we want to work with and what kind of agreement feels that that expresses. So I'll just leave it there for the moment while my dog's barking. Again, another rich set of nuggets you were dropping for all of us. And I do think it's a fabulous way to wrap this up of, yes, the agreement fields. I do 100% agree with you that we create our collective reality by the things that we're collectively saying yes to and agreeing to amongst and, and between each other. And You're money famous. is a huge yeah. agreement field. And 
the other thing that you were talking about, just painting that picture of that vision of that ray that wasn't the death ray, but the life ray, the regenerative ray, and how everything just shifts magically is so important that we hold this vision of what is possible and know that it is not only possible, it's inevitable. Mm -hmm. This is happening. And at the same time, hold ourselves as imperfect, like we're doing the best we can. We aren't going to solve this single-handedly or overnight, and yet it can happen in a heartbeat. Um, But we're each showing up and modeling that perfectly imperfect with authenticity. When I was talking about modeling before, it doesn't mean modeling perfection of like, I've got this all figured out. I just live in an abundant state 99.999% of the time. I mean, that's not real. We're always, you know, continuing to look at the things that are coming up for ourselves. So being authentic about that and being like, oh, I'm really feeling this tightness today. Like, let me just say, that's why I, you know, was quiet in the meeting or why I may have like spoken harshly to you or whatever that may have been wasn't to hold ourselves to the standard of perfection, but just be open about what's happening on the insides, you know, and making it the implicit explicit. Um, so yeah, I think drawing that, that amazing harmony of holding this incredible vision and just like you said, an earnest, sincere practice, like this is a practice. That's why I've called this regenerating leadership, not regenerative leadership. We're never done. It's a continual practice and that's life. That's nature. So yeah, wow, thank you so much for your generosity of everything you shared today, David. Um, When I imagine my ideal dream team of leaders coming together to co-create around this roundtable, solving some of these big challenges of our time, I always imagine David in one of those chairs. That's why it feels super extra special and so appropriate that you've been my first guest on this podcast of regenerating leadership. I really appreciate you and all the ways you're constantly showing up as a steward for this world, for humans, for food, for the soil, and sharing your genius and your heart in devotion to bringing more thriving for humans and the planet. So thank you, David. I so appreciate you. Wow. Well, Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you too, Holly, for creating this forum for us to share together. And hopefully it'll help other people in their own practice. And also, I just, I want to acknowledge you as, as a passionate convener. Um, you, you are finding a way to convene lots of great leaders. I mean, if I can be at the table, I'm honored and, and contribute something. But there's so many of us that we all have so much to contribute and we all need that. And so thank you for doing that. Cause I know it feels like this round of your work and this, your effort in this way is going to be really, really successful and anything that I can do to help, I'll be really happy to do it. And um, yeah, thanks for today. It's fun to share. You know, we get stronger, the more we connect and share up um, in harmony with these principles with each other. And so, you know, may that, that connection that we're sharing this morning in front of whoever's listening you know, ripple out and inspire people to have more fun and have more, give themselves permission to practice some of these things in a way that they're easy about and, you know, forgiving about when we don't. I mean, we're all so, there's so much to learn um, for for all of us, me too. Um, But let's just practice. Let's have fun and let's be gentle with each other and ourselves in the practice of it. Because every, every step we take forward, the entire world gets better and we get happier. And that's, that's a good thing. So thank you, Holly. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Regenerating Leadership, where we illuminate the journey of those who are making a difference and pioneering new ways of leading. 
Before you go, I have a question for you. What about your leadership journey? Whether you're reclaiming the parts of yourself you sacrificed while chasing success in the old paradigm, or you're stewarding a powerful vision for the new one, I'm here to support you in bringing all the pieces together so you can experience more joy and fulfillment in your life and your work in the world. Are you ready to make the impact you know you're here to make and to lead in a way that generates more thriving for yourself and others? Visit my website at thrivingpurpose.com to learn more about my coaching services and send me a message letting me know how I can support you. All right, don't forget to subscribe on Substack with the link in the show notes. And I'd love it if you could help spread the word by liking and sharing this podcast. I so appreciate you and the unique brand of magic you're bringing to the world.